Teach my soul to rise to you when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. You're my hope and stay, and when I cannot stand. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought. Yeah. Just you sing, church. What heights of love, what depths of great morning to start our morning off by saying we have needs. And we identify the need and we cry out. It's the one prayer that everyone prayed at some point. God, help. We say, Lord, I need you this morning. And then we turn and say, God, you're the one who saw our need and you came and stepped down from glory. What a beautiful, wonderful, and powerful name. It's powerful because you defeated death and the mastery of sin as a result. And now because of that, we stand victorious. If you're like me, you don't always feel victorious. I didn't wake up this morning and go, oh, I'm victorious in my morning. You know, like, totally slaying it. Um, <laughs> but he says, that's who I am, and that's who you are this morning. And maybe like me, you feel more of a sinner than a saint most of the time. But he gives us a new name. He doesn't define us by sin anymore because of Christ. He says, you're new. The old is gone. The new has come for those in Christ Jesus, he says. Instead, he calls you friend. And he calls you son, and he calls you daughter, and he calls you victorious. So stand in that victory this morning, saints, and greet those around you. Students, so glad that you were here. You guys are heading off to the cove. Thanks for being here. Greet your neighbor. Make them feel welcome this morning.
Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara. Happy Veterans Day weekend to those who have served our country or know those loved ones and friends and family. Well, today is an amazing Sunday. We're all together. I see the excitement with everybody here. We couldn't get you slowed down in the greeting, which is fantastic. I want to draw our first our attention to our bulletin. How many people have their bulletin? If you flip into the inside cover, we have a huge connection piece. It's very pivotal. We're, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. And we're a church that realizes that we're better together. And this is one of the ways we do it. It's through our connection and prayer card. So we're going to take a few minutes to fill that out. Even if it's just throw your first and last name on there and just mark a quick prayer request. Or just let us know that you're here. If you're a longtime member or you're a first-time visitor, we want to hear from you. So we're going to take a quick 15 seconds. It's fantastic every week where we get the staff together and we had almost 80 prayer requests and connection cards last week. And it just gives us a, an excellent opportunity just to pray for everybody in this room and to, to know what's going on with them. So if there's something that we need to, to talk about or reach out or you just need some encouragement, this is how it happens. It's letting people know what's going on, connecting, letting people know that you're here. So it's such a privilege. And thank you. And the ushers will be coming by at the end of the service. It just rips apart. You can just take that, fold it, and put it in the offering plate at the end of the service. But let's bring this to our first announcement. Operation Christmas Child. We've seen some videos. We've, we've heard the different things. The shoe boxes, like we couldn't even keep them on the shelves. You guys were so enthusiastic about that. We had to order more to bring them in, and you guys took all those. Well, here's the, here's the, here's the culminating mark of that. We're going to do collection week, and it starts tomorrow. Well, it starts today for us. We have already boxes filled with shoe boxes. So if you want to volunteer to help with that, let's say that you weren't able to help out or you just have some free time and you want to see this off to those kids in different places in the world, this is an opportunity. So you can go to our web website, ljcc.org, or you can contact Kim at LJCC and just say, hey, when's the time I can come in? Because we're going to have tons of boxes come in from all over San Diego, and they're going to go out and they're going to bless kids around the world. Well, next weekend is our alternative gift market. Who likes shopping? Who doesn't like shopping? This is for you, too. If you don't like shopping, this is a quick right after service. You don't have to go and fight traffic. You can just bebop right out there on the patio, and there's going to be vendors, and it's, it's going to be an amazing time. And here's the best part. You can buy gifts for friends and family, but you're also going to, those gifts are going to bless people around the world. You can come out and you can buy jewelry that's going to benefit those who are recovering and being rehabilitated after human trafficking. You can come over here and you can buy a Christmas card which that money's going to go forward and help somebody who's under, underprivileged get a wheelchair. You can buy some coffee. This is my favorite, by the way. And that's going to help those in those other countries do replanting and reforesting of those, those crops. It's, it's a great time to just bless your loved ones, to do shopping really quickly, but also affect those around the world and those who are less fortunate. So that's going to be next Sunday. It's after both services. Some of the vendors are cash only, so be prepared. But uh, be prepared to have some fun and to bless people. Well, right now, let's go to a time of prayer. Good morning. Uh, just before I start, Deneen, if that voice is not the prayer of rejoicing, nothing is. Thank you. So today is November 11th. It's uh, Veterans Day. It's Armistice Day. A hundred years ago today, uh, a great war, the war to end all wars, stopped. And so from our time, for 11 hours now, 100 years ago, soldiers have been coming out of the trenches, and, and peace is at hand. You know, in thinking about giving a prayer this morning, I, I thought a lot about a lot of different things, um, about my service as a soldier and my time in the military. And, and I made the connection between what soldiers do and what our first responders also do. So although this is a soldier's prayer, it should be probably the prayer that a fire captain says or a police officer says as they go about their daily duties. So if you'll join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and its many blessings. 
please watch over my family so many miles away. Keep them from worry and fear. Protect them from harm. Keep me steady in your ways so that I may overcome my fears by walking with you. You are my rock, my shield, my guide. Let me keep faith with my fellow soldiers. Let me protect them and conduct myself to ensure that I don't let them down or put them in harm's way. Protect us all as we go about our duties. Keep my men from harm that they may return to their families. Some will not make it, Lord, so give their families your love and grace to make it through the difficult days. And Lord, receive our brother into your loving arms and care for him. Lord, give me, give us your strength to carry on this day. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Don, thank you. Thank you for your service. Uh, Every day, uh, being part of a, a group of people who, who make sure this country is safe. So thank you uh, for leading us in prayer. Uh, I, I, I wish uh, we had time to hear all the stories uh, in this room of people's lives that would be so inspiring to us. Uh, that's one of the, the best things about being part of a community like this. You get to know people's, not only their name, but their story. And it's inspiring. Uh, it's inspiring to to think about those people in our life who have, have poured into us, uh, moms and dads, uh, brothers and sisters, family members, friends, teachers, coaches, uh, leaders in, in, in one form or another who have humbly opened themselves up uh, to care enough to rearra rearrange their life, to realign their life, uh, to make life better for other people. And that's one of the great gifts that we've been given as people, uh, certainly as a nation, but also as, as individuals and families as part of various kinds of communities. And it's so easy to assume that somebody's gonna do something. And so uh, one of the things we wanna reflect on today is, is humility. What does it look like to practice humility? We talked last week about practicing honesty. Um, we wanna talk about practicing humility. We had a fantastic uh, event uh, yesterday called Stories. And it was started out as an event called Chronicles, a very powerful event. And it's, it's now called Stories. And, and uh, this place was packed with women. And uh, had a very full uh, morning, I think, 8.30 to 1, something like that. Rochelle, is that right? Yeah. And, and out of that time, there was a lot of conversation. And, and four women courageously uh, uh, shared their story. And we don't want to talk about their story. That was, that was a very private moment for all those women. But I, I wanted to hear from some people who were there. So uh, last service, I asked Monica... Mrs. Cohen to come up and talk about, well, what did you hear? What, what did this do to you? And I want to ask Amy the Fair to come up and, and let me interview her in the same way. And that is to say, what did you hear that, that moved you, that informed you, that confirmed some things, that challenged some things? So Amy the Fair, welcome. Tell, hold us up real close. Tell us a little bit about you. Good morning. It's hard to come up here after Dawn's prayer. <laughs> so, so moving. Um, my name is Amy DeFair. I'm married to the love of my life, Kevin DeFair. We have a seven-year-old son. He's in second grade. I am a mom, and I run a business out of my home, so I'm self-employed. And what was yesterday like for you? Not, just several years ago, you were one of the presenters. So what was it like yesterday uh, being part of the group and hearing these four women present? Well, first of all, it's a lot more fun to be on the other side of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was amazing. Um, the biggest thing was the community, just watching all the women in fellowship and talking and hearing the buzz in the room and the stories were absolutely incredible. And it just showed hope, like that there is hope no matter what you're going through and just trusting in the Lord and sharing your story that the thing that was so surprising to me is the four stories just come together. They, they all... It was like after everyone, it's like, wow, that was amazing. At the end, you're like, they all just tied together. I think everyone could relate to a portion of each of their story and then to be able to talk about that. So just the humility of them doing that to trust in the Lord and um, 
having hope that he's going to bring them through it, it was just amazing to see and watch. And I mean, I was just saying earlier, like, I wish we had one of these every month because <laughs> it was just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So we want to hear uh, the stories of what God's doing in your life. And, and sometimes these stories are longer and they're very involved and they're, you think that could be a movie. Uh, most of the stories we want to hear, we will hear, are stories like this, where we get a little insight into what God is doing in our community uh, that, that is, is helping people uh, take that next step to open their hearts and their minds uh, to Christ and to one another. Um, you know, you, you can't read the, the events of the last week and be moved deeply. And I think in the face of these events, what a gift it is to be able to say, I will pray for you. I will pray with you. Um, the Lord is with you and for you. The person simply saying, gee, I'm sorry about, you know, whatever happened. Um, I, 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 I didn't, I hadn't been keeping up with all the, the news about the fires, and I was reading yesterday morning and catching up on that. It was just, it was just, it was overwhelming to think about 250,000 people in the L.A. Basin being um, dislocated, evacuated, an entire town, Paradise, wiped out. Um, People in Malibu who, in a sense, have created a guard-gated environment where nothing can hurt them or harm them, being chased out of their homes. And I thought, I mean, oh my gosh, I know a couple of families there. So I called one of them and said, how are you doing? You know, do you need a place to stay? Have you been evacuated? And, and he said, well, I spent the day yesterday. He's, a, he's one of the deans at the Pepperdine Law School. He said, I spent the day in the library with Catholic students, and the fire came right up to the property. It didn't come onto the property, but all the way around on every border at Pepperdine, the flame came right up and stopped. They said, we got to go back to the house. Another family uh, had, had to leave Malibu, um, and uh, they were staying with, it seems like they were staying with some, some friends. And I said, oh, my gosh, perfect place to learn, you know. Um, but Don's point about first responders, ultimately, though, every one of us is a responder. And I think that's one of the powerful things about the event yesterday uh, is that God has given us a capacity to respond. First and foremost, to him. Because it's, it's from him and through him that we get what we need to respond in ways that go beyond, I'm really sorry for your loss, or I really wish there was something I could do. We certainly do that. Our hearts grieve heavily. We also realize there's, a, there's an element of hope. At the point that we become humble and honest, uh, we have access to hope. And so last month we were talking about grace and hope and joy, uh, perseverance, powerful messages. And this month we're talking about how do you access those? If you, last week with honesty, if you're not honest, you can't access those things. If you don't have humility, you can't access those things. Next week, we're talking about gratitude. Without gratitude, we cannot access all those amazing and wonderful things that God makes available to us. And, and finally, at the end of the month, we'll be talking about wisdom. What's the place of wisdom uh, in helping us to access all these riches and resources that God wants to give to us, even at our lowest moments when we feel like um, there's nothing and no one to whom we can turn? So practice humility. Uh, practice means to do something. We're a church about doing stuff. Uh, we don't do Bible study. We do a lot of Bible study, but we don't just do Bible study. We do Bible doing. Uh, we want to say, what does it look like for me to get into gear and, and do what God wants me to do? And by being honest about that sense of inadequacy and being overwhelmed and thinking, gee, this might disrupt my secure life. What do I do? And the humility to say, perhaps it's God calling me to uniquely do whatever that is. Um, many of you heard John uh, Cotton Richmond uh, speak here over the years. The last four years he's preached. He couldn't this summer because he was involved in a whole interesting vetting process that resulted in this Wednesday he will be sworn in as our new ambassador overseeing all human trafficking issues to the United States. But John didn't start off by saying, I want to be uh, the ambassador of the United States responsible to oversee all efforts to, to erase and eradicate human trafficking. John left a really cushy job at a really big deal law firm in Washington, D.C. to take his two small kids and his wife to India and start international justice mission in India. And he thought, well, I'll, just, I'll get back to my awesome career after doing this for a few years. But one thing led to another, and, and here he's, he's lived this life of selfless service, uh, and he's doing what he's doing. And he would say if he was here, he'd be beaming, going, I can't believe I'm going to be an ambassador. So on one level, it's this awesome, fun thing, but the other level is that all that happened, all that happened to bring me here was me saying I want to be honest and responsive to what God wants me to do. 
So whether we do anything exalted or, or you know, big in the, in the news or very quiet behind the scenes, this is the power of honesty and humility. And so humility is where we want to pick it up from last week's talk about honesty. So what is humility? Um, <clears throat> is it minimizing our skills? Oh, I really can't do anything. No. Is it minimizing our strengths? Well, the answer would be no. Is it minimizing our fears and our needs? And the answer, again, would be no. Humility opens us up to own who we are and what we are and what we have in a, in a really wonderful way. So what if humility, like, like these women experienced yesterday, is just revealing how we really feel, how we really experience life and how God meets us at that point of experiencing life? If that's the case, then isn't humility simply telling our true story? And it's important to, to, to get real clear on that. Maybe your true story as you sit here today is, my life is a wreck. I'm really embarrassed to admit it. You know what? Claim and own your true story. Maybe your life right now, and John, if John was standing up here, he'd say, oh my gosh, don't focus on me being an ambassador. Say, John, that's your true story. So really, you're coming from a really big deal situation where everything you've worked and, 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 and prayed for is, is coming together, where everything you've worked and, and prayed for is falling apart. The point is, where are you right now in your true story? Because that's where God wants to meet you. And that is a call to vulnerability. Opening ourselves up in ways that we can't necessarily control the outcomes, so we make choices. We can't control if we're good, bad, comfortable, or uncomfortable. We simply make commitments. This is what we're talking about. And so humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up, is what James says. Humble yourself before the Lord. It's not to humiliate yourself before the Lord. It's to say, Lord, uh, but for you, I don't know who I am. But for you, I'm not sure how to use what you've put in my hand. But for you, I might conclude that what I'm supposed to do uh, is really not the right thing for me because I've got some idealized, romantic idea of, of what I'm supposed to do. If you're fully dedicated to the Lord, you might be doing things that have nothing that look like anything religious. But you're a person who says, I want to live for Christ in, in every day and everything I do. Where will that lead me and take me? Maybe you'll become a pastor. Maybe you'll become the deputy director of intelligence for Navy Special Warfare. Maybe you'll become an ambassador. Maybe you'll become a preschool teacher. The point is you will never discover your true calling but for humbling yourself before the Lord and saying, Lord, I want you to lead me and guide me. Peter expands on it. He says, all of you, all of you, every age and stage, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And we'll unpack what that means as we go through the morning. Clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Peter is quoting Proverbs chapter 3. He's invoking the Old Testament. He goes on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God does not lift us up to reward us for our awesomeness. He lifts us up to reveal his awesomeness. He lifts us out of the pit. Psalm 40 says, I'm in a pit. Oh my gosh, Lord, you're with me. Who would have thought you would be in a pit with me? And he lifts us out of the pit. He puts our feet on, on solid ground. Uh, he leads us and guides us, even through the valley of the shadow of evil, it says. And this is a very powerful promise that God makes, and that God always keeps his promises and fulfills his word. And so this is the kind of thing that we can then, as Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. And though he might be letting you go through a very difficult time right now, don't, don't shake your, your little fist at him. Uh, open your hands. And when you open your hands, they get much bigger. Make a little fist against God. We cut off ourselves from, we cut ourselves off from the, the thing he wants to do to share his love and care for us. When we open our hands, we realize, oh my gosh, my hands are getting bigger and I'm able to receive what God is putting into them. I, I love this picture from uh, Rembrandt, one of the great iconic paintings in the Western canon. It's, it's the return of the prodigal son. And, and, and you see in the shadows, uh, we don't quite know who these people are, but we assume this is the, the waiting father uh, putting his hands on the prodigal, now bathed in light. And you know the issue with, for the prodigal is that he was operating out of a faulty, flawed narrative about his life. His flawed narrative sounded like this in the, in the common vernacular of our day. My life sucks and it's your fault. 
And all we know about the story is that it abruptly starts with him saying, I want my inheritance. I'm out of here. We don't know how he got to that place of being angry and rebellious. We just know that something has gone on to cause him to do the unthinkable, which is to say, look, you're not even dead and I want your money. Because I'm going to really make my life way better. And, of course, it shows how his life devolves to the place where he's actually starving as he's watching pigs. A good Jewish boy feeding pigs, thinking my father's servants eat better than this. Though I no longer deserve to be called his son, maybe I can go back and get his mercy. And so the son makes this long journey home with nothing, completely destitute, rehearsing a new narrative. It's still a wrong narrative. He realizes how much he screwed up, but he's now got another bad narrative, another flawed and faulty narrative. So as his father sees him approaching and is opening his arms to him, the son is saying, I don't deserve to be your son. This is wrong with me. This is wrong, you know. On one level, you say, that's awesome, that's repentance. He's turning toward, you know, in the big picture, he's turning toward God. Right, but he has, he has a faulty, flawed understanding as a father. And finally, we see the narrative come into sharp focus when the father says, my son who is lost is now found. He puts a ring on his finger and a robe around him and calls for a big feast to be um, prepared in his honor. See, this is what the father, what the father does to each one of us. He calls us into this relationship he knows our sin. He doesn't downplay our sin. He doesn't rationalize or justify our sin. But he forgives us and transforms us because of who he is. He gives us a new narrative of a better story. And so we see that healthy relationships thrive on honesty. That young man had to come to a place of honesty about himself. But then he had to see a larger view of what was true, right? Honesty allows us to grow. Honesty leads to solutions. Honesty makes us like Jesus. All good. But until we hear God's word setting right our narrative, even our honesty can be faulty and flawed. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm rotten. I don't deserve anything. Well, those people are horrible and rotten. And they, don't, you know, they don't deserve me. So this is the power of being honest. What does that lead us to? Well, it, it takes humility to be honest. When we finally acknowledge what's going on in us and we open ourselves up, Primarily to God, and then through Him to one another. All of a sudden, we start to see uh, that the, the scary wound that we all know we possess. It's possible to acknowledge that, and to stop hiding from God and stop hiding from people. And though parts of our narrative are right, yeah, I've been rebellious. Yes, I've been selfish. Yes, I've been very small in my thinking, very mean-spirited in my behavior. There's a larger narrative that you were made for something better and something more. So humility thrives in healthy relationships where we're safe to be ourselves and others are safe to be themselves. God creates that safe space. Now, I, I have a problem with the phrase safe space. I have a problem with the phrase because the way it's used in our culture is I, wanna, I want a safe space that will protect me from reality. I want a safe space where I don't have to hear anything that's true about me or about my responsibilities. I want a safe place where I can project all of my fantasies which I would call aspirations and dreams, onto the world and find them confirmed and validated. The kind of safe place that God calls us into is a place where he calls out of us uh, what is true. I am in desperate need of what God alone can provide. He shows us what is real in a way that we say, "You're you're telling me what's real, but in a way that somehow gives me hope to be able and willing to face it. Um, uh, Max Dupree, one of the great leaders in American business, died several years ago. He ran a company called Herman Miller Company, one of the most iconic creative makers of of furniture and furnishing uh, the the iconic Eames chair and so many things that they made. And it was always listed one of the top companies to work for in America. And he was an ardent follower of Jesus. He was a big teddy bear in the back. And, And his favorite thing to say was, you know, leaders define reality. They tell the truth. And in defining reality, it puts us in a place where we can experience, if we're willing to be humble and honest, hope. If you don't acknowledge where you are, you don't know where you need to go. And so the safe place God creates for us is a place of clarity. So that's who you are. That's who I am. Ah, you're right. I'm flawed. I'm wounded. Ah, but more importantly, I'm loved. I have no idea. I'm accepted. I have no idea. You welcome me into your presence through your grace. I have no idea what that's going to be possible. 
And so humility ends up being a character quality that makes healthy relationships possible. This openness to God and to one another puts us in play to experience life in ways that we perhaps never thought it possible. Because if we've settled for a religious view of things, you always feel like I'm a day late and a dollar short keeping all the rules and regulations, correctly following the rituals. And religion is not meant to be that, right? Religion is meant to be actually a spiritual relationship. It's life-transforming, intimate, personal relationship with the living God, expressed in rituals, lived out through principles and rules and things that, that, uh, that um, keep us on the highway and not going off of a cliff. But it's the relationship at the core that is the transformational piece. And so this core relationship with God transforms our character. It gives us qualities that makes a healthy relationship possible. I can be honest about who I am, where I am, and what I am. I can be honest with you about that. And so therefore, instead of me presenting my idealized self and you protecting your not-okay toy, and then returning with your idealized self, yeah, I'm awesome too. We both realize we're loved by God, and we can be real about what we need, what we want, what we don't have, and, 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 and have a conversation that calls out in us the things that we fear most, and then calls out of us the things that we desire most, right? Very powerful. So this sounds like I'm talking a lot of psychology. Only, it's only because theology is psychological and spiritual, and it knits us together as whole people. And you know what? Theology always has a social impact. It always has a social impact, which means we become empowered to do things that would likewise call this out in other people, right? Love send you the very things that we have come to understand in God. In that honesty and humility, we experience this hope, this joy, this, the ability to persevere, all because of his grace. And so really, humility is being as interested in other people as you are in yourself. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, humility isn't thinking uh, uh, of yourself, isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less? Uh, if that's familiar to you, um, it's, it's, it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, and, and I've heard more people quote this as, you know, C.S. Lewis said this. I've heard people say it, I've read it, and it's wrong. It was said by Rick Warren, the guy that wrote The Purpose Driven Life. So think about this. This is what's funny to me. You're Rick Warren. You know you've made this incredibly awesome phrase. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And somebody goes, God, I love C.S. Lewis. <laughs> hey, man, I said that. That puts you in a kind of weird thing. How do you be humble about your awesome definition of humility, you know? Um, but the point is, if we're interested in people uh, in the same way that we're interested in ourselves, all of a sudden we're, we're conforming to what Jesus told us anyway in his word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're talking about a person in process, a person in transition and transformation, becoming our real true self. And so humility allows us to recognize our need for God in others. And it keeps us teachable and releases the power of God in our life. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. This honesty and humility gives us confidence. To identify the most important resources available to us. To experience it, this humility and honesty in full. We approach the throne of God uh, and his grace with confidence. So that we may receive his mercy and find more grace to help us in our time of need. A powerful upward spiral of righteousness, of human development. We, we, we use shorthand terms like being saved. This is what it means to be saved. If somebody says, hey, well, when were you saved? You say, well, I'm being saved. There was a time when I said yes to Jesus, and I guess if that's what you mean, the starting point of me being aware of this salvation work that God was doing in me, I was saved at a village dream crusade, a young life camp, or forest home, or at a youth group meeting. But really, I'm being saved because God is transforming me, and the more I'm open to him and, and trust him, it's getting bigger and bigger, this world that he's calling me into. You're experiencing that. Many of you are experiencing that. Some of you are doubtful this is possible. You've tried it, it didn't work. So let me give you three cautions either way. One, don't, us, uh, don't underestimate humility and honesty. Don't say, ah, oh, yeah, only fools do that because it'll be used against you. It won't work. Not in our world. I love it. It makes sense in church, but it does not work in the marketplace. I'm telling you, do you think maybe in the marketplace, do you think maybe in our culture, at every level in our culture, we could use more honesty and humility? 
I think so. If we don't fail for being humble and honest, we will ultimately fail for lack of it. And that's why you've got to read my new book, Humility and How I Achieved It. It is so good. It is so awesome. It will change your life. Uh, the second caution, don't view humility as liability or weakness. Now, some people uh, abuse humility, and they make it the ability to lie. Some li liability, oh, my liability? Yeah, yeah, I'll pretend I'm humble, and then I can exploit your vulnerability through my faux humility. That's not what we're talking about. We don't see humility as a liability or the ability to lie. We don't see it as a weakness. Why? Because we know from the example of Jesus himself, that humility makes us strong and resilient. Because again, it's a portal, it's an access point for all the resources of God. What I can't do to change me, God can. What I can't do to forgive me or take back all the things I've said and done that I regret, God can do. It makes us strong, wise, and free. For what? To give and receive beautiful gifts. The most beautiful gift in life. The ones you can't wear on a finger around your neck or drive or live in. Gifts like love, forgiveness, compassion, friendship, and reconciliation. Don't we all crave to be reconciled to one another, to family members, to friends? Why wouldn't you like that to happen before Thanksgiving? <laughs> the one day in America when, when tables are crowded with people all thinking, I wish I was with my friends. Wouldn't it be great if, if we could do what, um, what uh, Lincoln did when his, his cabinet members and his people close to him said, you've got to destroy your enemies, man. You've got to destroy them. He goes, I am. He said, you are? He goes, yeah, I'm making them my friends. I'm pulling them close. How do we make our family members our friends? I, I can tell you it's really hard. How do you make some of the people that are most antagonistic and that you have to do life with because you work with one another? Are they going to be at the same Thanksgiving table, maybe? Um, this is where we say, wow, what would it look like for me to be an example of love and forgiveness, compassion, friendship, and reconciliation this Thanksgiving? Uh, three, don't assume you're humble. My other book, <laughs> The Three Greatest Leaders in the World and How I Inspired the Other Two, See, those guys thought they were humble until I was able to set them straight on some things, right? So we all think we're more humble than we are. So here's a simple thing I, I use for myself, a simple standard that I hate using for myself, but I, I use for myself. So I'm, I'll apply it for you. If you are standing in judgment over anyone, if you're holding a grudge against anyone, if you're being critical of anyone, you might consider doing a humility reset. If, if today sometime you're planning on writing Nancy Pelosi a letter and the person sitting next to you in your house is writing a letter to Donald Trump and you're both going to write letters to each other because you're so, you know, you know how we see where this goes? It's devolving cycle of chaos because we hold judgment over one another, we hold a grudge against one another, we're critical of one another. That is not what humil humility looks like. Humility seeks to understand what is going on in them. How do I relate to them? What is this triggering in me? What are these feelings? I'm, what are the feelings I'm feeling about these people coming from? And so a humility reset is not pretending these things don't matter to you. It's saying, what's the most um, righteous way of approaching these sorts, of, these sorts of situations? Because though I assume I'm humble, often I'm a master of rationalizing why my view is superior to them. My judgment is right, and they deserve it. My grudge is really a good idea to hold on to, because by drinking poison, I know I can get somebody else to die. That's what a grudge is. And that by being critical, I can improve people. And if I'm really critical, and I do it at a high volume, they even improve more quickly. How's that going in your marriage? How's it going with your kids? How's it going in our political arena? How's it going anywhere in the world? So don't assume you're humble. Um, but here's the other thing I don't want you to think about in, in, in the wrong way. The, the obverse of this is that humility doesn't mean you can't shine. Humility means you shine in ways that are, are a blessing to other people. Humility doesn't mean you can't shine. It's simply recognizing you aren't the source of the light. 
I remember years ago, seeing this five-year-old girl. She had one of those twirly dresses on. Now, all twirly dresses were made for grandparents to buy for five-year-old girls. And, and this little girl is just spinning circles in this twirly dress. And it's like between services, I think, and I, 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 after service. And I, I walked up to her and I said, you look fantastic in that dress. She goes, I know. <laughs> I know. I know I look really good in this dress. That's why I'm twirling out here in front of everybody. And it was the most beautiful expression of sheer joy of being heard. And I think that's the kind of thing that we want to see shining in each other, that you're so fully alive, you're saying, oh, I just love being me. How can I serve you? This is a powerful thing when you think about it. And so, as John says to us, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to, to 9, he says, this is the message we've heard from him, from Jesus, and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, a relationship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we cling to the old nature, the bad way of doing things, we lie. We don't live out the truth. We deny the truth that's available to us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, a relationship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The church uh, is like a family, is like any human configuration of people. We can do faux relationship. We can do faux fellowship. We can do superficial, irrelevant fellowship. That's why many people ditch the church. It's so superficial, nobody is real about what they really feel, who they really are, and therefore there's no real solutions to the inevitable conflicts between human beings. We apply it to our family. As soon as the kids get old enough, we're out of there. You know, those sorts of things happen. John goes on to say, if we claim to have no responsibility for the situation, that is, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, though, recognize, acknowledge, confess our sins, he is faithful, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We come into a new, fresh alignment with God. We stop pretending that we don't have a wound that needs serious attention. And we start turning to the great physician saying, only you can fix what's wrong with me. Now, God might use wise counselors to accomplish that, inspiring people, caring parents, and others. But until we're open and willing and honest to say, I have a wound that I cannot heal. And so I spend all my time and energy hiding it and hiding it from everybody else. Nothing is going to change. So practicing humility becomes this authentic act of courage. It's a gift we give one another. It reveals truth and builds trust. It's a genuine mark of God's grace and love. It's a pathway for correcting and renewing and restoring and healing ourselves and others. It builds a healthy community in Christ. This is why it's the desperate need of every human being, and it should start in the church. If the family of God can't get this right, how is anybody else going to get this right? Here's how it works. God's given us an authentic image of himself in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, former antagonistic rabbi, anti-Jesus, comes to know Jesus, becomes this great champion for Christ. And he writes to some people in Colossae, and he says, you know, Jesus Christ is the, is the visible expression of the invisible God. God has revealed his authentic self to us in Christ. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Likewise, then, through Jesus Christ, God is giving us an authentic image of ourselves. And by image, I don't mean something fake, an image we project. I'm saying he gives us a, the right vision of who we really are and who we're meant to be as we grow up in him. We don't become more religious or more rule-based. We become more alive. Filled with the, the qualities that God alone can provide. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And see, so he's giving us this authentic image of ourselves. And by that, in humility, with great thanksgiving and gratitude, we receive God's love and grace. We grow into our best self through relationship with Jesus and in community with other believers. Here's the profound thing about the words honesty and humility. They are relational words that make no sense apart from relationship. They are not abstract concepts that you just hang out in space and make sense of. It only makes sense in the context of relationships. So humility and honesty aren't just things that we put on the shelf as a trophy or aspirational. Someday, this will all be yours. Rather, it's something we appropriate right now. 
in community with flawed, wounded people like one another. So here's what practical humility looks like. We shine brightest when we reflect Jesus Christ together in our simple community. It's all about coming into community. That's what was so powerful about yesterday's stories. A bunch of women, half of whom I bet don't know each other. And probably the other half don't like each other. No, I'm kidding. I don't know about that. But, but a, a mixed group of women hearing four other women stand up and courageously say, you know, let me give you a little insight into what I've experienced with that. Can you imagine how much courage that took for those ladies to get up and tell their story? Can you imagine how powerful that was to be a woman in that room going, I so needed to hear that story today. A woman emailed me after that and said, I can't tell you how thankful I am for that event I just came from. I needed to hear those stories. I don't know the women. I want to love them and hug them. I want to, I want to claim them as new best friends and sisters. Those women were amazing. Now, the funny thing is if you said that to the women, they would say, I am not amazing. I'm still shaking but thank God that he used my story to bless somebody else. That's what we mean by, I mean by saying we shine brightest when we reflect Jesus' presence among us. His authentic community is inclusive. It welcomes people in. It's resourceful. It comes up in ways to respond to needs. It's generous and irresistible. It exists not for itself, but for its mission, his mission. Do you know what his mission is? That's for another sermon. But this church does not exist for us, but we get to you know, enjoy all the benefits of it. it. Exists for the mission that God has called us all together in. The mission was expressed yesterday at Stories. Wait, wait. The mission of God is a bunch of women getting together, having a great time. Yes. Because what happened then was God was was raised up, and people were drawn close together in Him. Profound. I won't read them all, but there's these one and other passages, dozens of them in the Scripture. That say things like this, love one another, serve one another, honor one another, accept one another, be kind to one another, um, comfort one another, don't lie to one another, don't bite one another. Yeah, everybody's a perpetual two-year-old around here. Don't bite those people, you know. Uh, don't provoke, don't devour, don't defraud, confess your faults, all that. Why one another? It's a re- relationship built in honesty and humility lived out in community. Philippians 2.3 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And I was trying to think of some great example to give for this. All I could think about were these two guys. This is, uh, have, you, have, have any of you seen Despicable Me? You know, any of them? And if any of you are saying, why would I waste my time seeing that? Let me tell you, these have earned over $3 billion, These this series of, of animated films, Three billion dollars plus. Uh, the guy in the, in the dashingly hip uh, black outfit ensemble is nefarious. I mean, is a felonious grew. G R U. Felonious grew. And the guy uh, uh, to his left is Doctor Nefario. Now, here's the thing: their life is all about selfish ambition and vain conceit. And that's why all those little people behind them are no are so necessary. They are the minions. The minions do the work of these two guys who are full of are full of, uh, of all kinds of things, but full of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Felonius grew in his strategizing for world domination, thinks it'd be really great for his image if he adopted three little girls. And he adopts them, and they're just hood ornaments for his nefarious ways with Dr. Nefario. But in the process, in these movies, you start to see how he is transformed to the point that he goes from seeing them as hood ornaments on his vehicle for, for world domination, but rather... He starts to love them. He starts to fall in love with them. In the second movie, you see his family of origin issues. You go, oh, I get why Felonius Grew is like he is. I see his mom and his brother. And, and, and so you see this development to the point that at the end of it, you're going, wow, Felonius Grew is an example of loving your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that crazy? The Lord, you know, Jesus said, the first commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And immediately, he said, immediately following that is to love your neighbor as yourself. This transformation of love in this, in this otherwise silly uh, series of movies is profound. We see this picture of selfish ambition and vain conceit transformed into the fact that this guy cares about these kids, and it shows in his life. He becomes honest about his inability to receive love and his own experience of that. He becomes humble to say, what are your needs? 
What are your hopes? What are your aspirations? What are your desires? How can I respond to you where you are in me? It's a beautiful little picture. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, go on a go on a Despicable Me binge. You know, when you finish Game of Thrones or whatever, go right to. Uh, so here's my final message to you. Practice humility. Why? Because it's the real you. Humility is the real you. It's the real you that says, I have needs I don't know how to meet. I have aspirations I don't know how to fulfill. I have fears I, I hide. And if anybody knew how afraid I was, they wouldn't be expecting me here. It's also, I have this potential. or I have these gifts. I have these skills. How do I use them wisely? Humility is that powerful thing that God uses draw us in and to fill us up with everything that he alone can provide. That honesty and humility combo is so powerful. Those portals, worlds open up to us. And our small, small world that we so carefully control is, is disrupted and, and blown up. And all of a sudden there's a larger world appears and you think, oh my God. And he says, yes. Yes. Fill that and I will give you my gift of you. So Lord Jesus, we know that from your word. Holy Spirit confirms that in us. Uh, we, we've met people, we're surrounded by people who exhibit this, who personify that back into us. So Lord, we pray that each one of us uh, would take that next step, wherever we are, toward deeper honesty, greater humility, that we would see this community as not uh, a barrier, uh, but a bridge. That we see your word as not something to misuse or abuse or deny, but to embrace and to learn and submit to it. That we'd see, Lord, that your kingdom has come, and that we can be members uh, of it as your beloved sons and daughters by faith. We thank you for all these things. Make us humble. Uh, make us honest. Uh, that we might reflect your glory in the community together. And join you in your mission in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offering. As the ushers come forward, if you have your connection card, you could just tear those off as stickers in the basket. And if you're, if you're in need of prayer, we have our prayer garden outside. But as they come, the ushers come forward, I just want us to think about our humility and how, how God's called us to so much more in him. And this is our opportunity just to, to give back what he has given to us. We, just, we don't come here just to, to sit and be fed, but to, to glorify him, to glorify him as brothers and sisters in unity. And as we go out from this place this week, how are we going to bring the gospel into those places where we work, live, and play? So let's continue our worship with giving. I take the problem that lay between how high the mountains I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sins and bear my shame. The cross is spoken. Savior, I'm yours forever. 
Jesus Christ, my sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the That's a living hope. That's a living hope. That's not a postponed hope. That's not a hope that someday I might have hope. Hope is a pathway. Hope is a pathway to everything that God wants to give you. And you access that pathway through honesty and humility. Agreeing with God and opening yourself up to him. Agreeing with God and opening yourself up to him. Trusting him enough to know he wants to give you hope. And hope is transformational in you and hope is transformational through you and everybody in this room can agree i think this world desperately needs a hope that jesus has come to provide and guess what he delivers it through you and me and so now may the lord bless you and keep you as you do that may the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Jesus Christ, my leader.